Um, if you would, raise your hand if you don't have a Bible with you, um, so you can flip through it um, super fast, because I do that sometimes, I try it. Um, good. Put your hands up if you have a Bible, and if you uh, or if you don't have a Bible, and if you need one, go ahead and keep the one that that we give you as a gift. We want you to have something to read in your daily lives. Dwight Eisenhower said, "In the highest sense, the Bible is to us the unique repository of eternal spiritual truths." So while you're in your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter eleven. Luke chapter 11, and uh, this is an interesting passage. We're still in that same kind of long narrative here. Luke chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 37. It says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with them. So he went and reclined at table, and the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, uh, cleanse the outside of the cup of uh, and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clear for or clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees! Verse forty-two: For you tithe mint and ruin every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Our good God, you are magnificent and holy. We stand in awe before you in all of our nakedness and shame and surrender to your great authority and power. Clothe us with righteousness as you transform our hearts that you may be glorified in us. O Lord, provide for us wisdom and truth this morning. Change us from the inside out. Reveal to us the sin that we might receive and our provision as our provision, your holiness. And be humble. Help us to be humble before you and our neighbors. Forgive us, O oh God, of our pride and our self-righteousness and keep us from hypocrisy, knowing that we must forgive as you have forgiven us. Be merciful to us and help us to receive your word with great satisfaction. We give this time over to you in great thankfulness and anticipation to open our hearts to your voice and to be filled with your Holy Spirit this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> we all know that people have a tendency to overstate the condition of a used car when they're trying to sell it, right? They make it look good any way that they can. A good detailed job can sometimes distract from a slight smell of burning oil or that little knock in the engine. And of course, there are tricks that can be employed to make a car seem like it's in better mechanical shape than it is, putting stuff in the oil or, uh, you know, turning back the odometer on some of the older cars. You could do that. But, but the best, I think, are the ads that people put out. Uh, people use some creative language to make their car look great. Of course, they never lie. Uh, and You'll see a car that's like more than 20 years old and you get this comment like, no, no, no low ballers. I know what I got. And you'll see like a car like this. 
What's nice about that one is that the color of the car kind of blends in with the Rust and Bondo, um, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, so somebody tells me this next seller isn't being totally up front. Very clean. Everything works fine. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Um, it, it gets better. Don't worry. This one here. Um, it's only rolled once. It says it in the ad. Only rolled once. You got to jump on that. <laughs> yeah. um, this one here is great. Custom wheels and tires. If you can find out who stole them. Um, we text when we buy cars now, right? This one's this one. At least this one's this guy's honest. Uh, this guy asks, "Keys included, or do I need to hotwire? Just need to know what tools I need to bring." And the seller says, "Bring all the tools. Keys are the least of your worries." <laughs> at least he's being honest, right? And here's this one's only half off. That's half price, <laughs> right? Okay. Well, this one here has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's a motorcycle. So, wife says Harley has to go. Uh, or, or Harley goes or I go. Your choice, 5900 uh, Something tells me that might be an unhealthy marriage. If you're ever tempted to make an ad like that, please make an appointment with Denise and I. We'll help you through it. Um, no, but this one here, this next one, fits perfectly in line with our text this morning. Uh, the ad here, now, Audis are nice cars. We all know this, right? Let me read the ad. Here's the thing about this car. It ain't perfect. Is it beautiful on the outside? No doubt. Is the interior pretty slick and comfortable? Absolutely. Is it fast and fun? Easily. But like any career Instagram model, even though it looks good, great on the outside, it's got some unresolved issues on the inside. Well, as Christians, we often work so hard to make sure we appear great. And we should be concerned, certainly, with how we are perceived, but we often spend so much time on our behavior that we never really get to the root of it. We clean up the outside first and never deal with the heart issues, what's on the inside. But we know from reading the New Testament, we, we can't flaunt that because we read about the pride of the Pharisees, so we kind of feign humility and then once people see how well we behave as good little Christians, we kind of chime in at the perfect time. Somebody asks how we're doing, and we're kind of like, oh, I'm just a dirty, filthy, rotten, stinky sinner, desperate in need of God's grace, only by the blood of Jesus. And we're like, you know, because we're hoping people are going to go, oh, look at they behave so well, they're so great, and they're humble too, right? And and I know this because I know I've done this kind of thing before too, probably more than I'd like to admit. We probably all have. And the problem is that we end up believing that we're doing pretty well in comparison to other people because of how good we have made ourselves look. And, and we've been so distracted sometimes by adopting certain activities and behaviors and rejecting the things that don't seem so acceptable that whatever's on the outs, or whatever's on the inside rather gets neglected and forgotten. And yet that is where sin is rooted. And that is what Jesus is calling out the Pharisees for in our text today. So what I'm going to ask for us this morning is that we do a little bit of self-examination. However we look on the outside, whether we look great or like that little brown car, right? 
what's on the inside? What kind of mechanical shape are we in? What, how do we function? Let's go ahead and read the text. Luke eleven thirty seven. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went and reclined at table. Now, we need to recall the context before we can dig into the text. Chapter 11 begins with uh, Jesus teaching his disciples how to do what? Pray. There we go. Uh, verses two, and 2 to 4. When you pray, this is Jesus speaking, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And so uh, the, we, we see the pattern of reverence, petition, and repentance. You remember that, right? Reverence, petition, and repentance. And then Jesus gave the reason that we pray in the manner that He taught us, and it's because of the relationship that He has with us. He is our Father. He's not the Father of everyone. Remember we learned that? Remember what He told the Pharisees, right? John 8, 39 to 44. John 8, 39 to 44, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We that was a dig on Jesus because of Joseph and Mary, right? Uh, uh, <clears throat> we have one father, even God, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he who sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And then in Matthew uh, 7, verses 21 to 23, he also said, You've heard this one, I'm sure. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So if God is our Father, He knows us and has chosen us from the foundations of the earth. And because He has that relationship with us, we can pray to Him accordingly. And from there, in Luke 11, we saw that Jesus casts a demon out of a guy. And some people accused Him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul. And others kept trying to test Him because there was nothing... Uh, nothing was enough proof for them. And then Jesus points out the absurdity of the statement that he was casting out demons in the power of Satan. And he goes on to explain that when, an evil, when, when, when the evil leaves a person, it must re be replaced with God's good using a metaphor of the inside of a house. Do you recall that? And then he goes on to say that it is an evil generation that seeks signs and wonders beyond, beyond what God has revealed. And we discovered that the Word of God is sufficient and should not be neglected and hidden away so that anyone who is able to see it will see it and it will expose the truth to them. And so today, our text falls within that context. 
There are no... They're not little proverbs or little statements. It's an unfolding story, and it's the revelation of Jesus about himself. So John Nolan says this. He says, the Pharisees and the lawyers are blind to the light precisely because their own lives are morally and religiously compromised. And as their forebears, they do not want to hear the challenge of the messengers of God. It's a parallel passage to Matthew 23, which you could read later on if you wanted to. And it deals with hearing and keeping the word. And we're going to see that it's something that goes much deeper than outward behaviors and appearances. And as all these things are happening uh, that we just talked about, a Pharisee invites him to dinner. Now, it's the fir- not the first time that happened, if you recall, and it's not going to be the last. And in this case, the Pharisee must think that he's pretty clever because after everything Jesus had just said, he's still attempting to trap him. Jesus here is going to accuse him of hypocrisy. Now, we've all heard people objecting to attending church because the church is full of hypocrites, right? Anybody not, he- not ever heard that? That's probably the most common complaint. The church is full of hypocrites. And we've all heard the snarky comebacks. Well, there's always room for one more, right? Or, well, if you find a perfect church, don't join it. You'll ruin it, right? But, but here's the thing. The accusation that the church of full, is full of hypocrites, it's simply not true. We've kind of accepted that label, but it, let me explain why that's not true, at least not in a real church. None of us claims to be perfect or holy. If we did, we would be hypocrites. But who here claims to be perfect and holy? Right? Nobody does. We know that we're broken sinners. That's why we're here. And of course, we've also come to hypocrisy, and hypocrites can often be found in churches, but to say that the church is full of them, that's, that's slander. Right? We need to take that objection for what it is, an excuse for rejecting God's plan for our ecclesia, our gathering, our assembly. And listen, sin doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes you a sinner. You don't become a hypocrite in that sense until you think that your sin is better than the next person's sin. And that was the pride of the Pharisees. So let's move on and see what, the, what happens at the Pharisee's house. The Pharisee was astonished to see this, verse 38. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. So Jesus doesn't wash his hands. And it's interesting, Luke uses the word bapteste, um, or the root of that is baptizo. Does anybody know what that is? Yeah, to, to baptize. That's right. Baptism is a ritual cleansing involving immersion. And that's how we get the practice today. And actually, the, the ritual that they had for washing hands was actually to pour water on. So we're not sure why you, Luke used that word. But the Pharisee is shocked to see that Jesus didn't follow this hand-washing ritual that was demanded of all the good Jews. Uh, It actually wasn't even in Torah. It was something that was kind of accepted law code that came about around the Maccabean period. Um, And and, and it was was kind of brought about by some of the more fundamentalist Jews of the time. And there's some question, again, as to why Luke used the word bapteste since... Uh, the ritual was actually to pour that, it was a very small amount of water over the hands. And the point, nevertheless, is that Jesus didn't conform to the piety of the Pharisees. And that happens to us too. 
whether we want to admit it or not, we all kind of has accepted uh, one kind of piety or another. And then sometimes, we need to be honest with ourselves, sometimes we often look down on Christians who don't conform to that, right? Uh, we've all done that because we want to feel like we're good, right? Uh, but here again, um, we have to be careful uh, because our faith is not about conformity. It's about the relationship that our Father has with us. And this is, this is the way that the Pharisees thinking. Many years ago after Denise and I were placed with our adopted children, it was discovered that she was, uh, that one of our adopted children uh, was having seizures. And because of that, we had to take some medically fragile training with social services. One of the exercises was about hand washing. They would, they would put this clear, I don't know if you've ever done this before, there's a clear like infrared lotion that you put on your hands and you rub it in. Um, and then they would tell us to go wash it in the bathroom. And so the standard practice is to scrub your hands vigor, vigorously with soap and water for two minutes. And I wasn't about to fail this test. So I, it was probably at least four minutes for me, right? I'm scrubbing my hands with soap and water and all this. And I still failed. I, they, we put my hands I, under the infrared light there, and there was still all kinds of purple under my nails and in the cracks of my skin and all kinds of stuff. Um, and so back to this Jewish regulation, just, just rinsing your hands with maybe a quarter to a half a cup of clean water um, like that ritual demanded, it would do nothing to actually clean your hands, would it? Like, I'm scrubbing with soap and water for two minutes. But here's the thing. You still looked great because you were doing what you were supposed to do. It, it would become a different story when the light exposed how clean you really are. The hand-washing ritual wasn't so much a matter of hygiene, but of their liturgy according to tradition. Even though the pouring on of that water would do nothing to clean their hands, they were considered clean by doing so. And that's how you showed yourself to be clean, even if your hands were exceptionally dirty. But then, if your hands were actually clean and you didn't do this ritual, your hands were considered unclean. Very interesting. Psalm 24. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Of course, that's speaking metaphorically of a spiritual truth. But notice it doesn't say uh, he who cleans his hands, but he who has clean hands. They're, they are clean. And the psalmist includes then a clean heart. Not who cleans his heart, but who has a clean heart. And we're going to see that it is not what... It, it, or rather, it is what cannot be seen that is what's important. Verse 39, Luke eleven thirty-nine. Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the, of the dish, but inside you are uh, full of greed and wickedness. And this is where Jesus calls out their hypocrisy. Notice the Pharisees hadn't said anything that's recorded here. Jesus probably knew what he was 
uh, thinking. And, and what that tells me is that Jesus was probably intentional about not washing his hands. He, he did it on purpose so that he could use a metaphor to de- demonstrate the hypocrisy of the Pharisees to this man. He's saying, hey, you, you guys do a really good job at making yourselves look nice and shiny on the outside, but inside you're just as defiled as any dirty dish. It's not insignificant that of all the wickedness that he could have called out, he calls out to this Pharisee, greed. Greed. You are full of greed and all kinds of other wickedness, he says. The reason for that is that the Pharisees got their holiness down to an exact science. It was an exact science. They had figured out exactly how many steps you could take without violating the Sabbath. They'd figured out exactly how long to pray and what to wear when they prayed. And they did it in public loudly so that all could see. You know, so that they could be a good example to all the other Jews passing them by, right? In case you didn't catch it, that was sarcasm. No, they wanted people to see how holy they were, right? It was... What good is a cup that's only been washed on the outside, right? The the outside isn't nearly as important as the inside with something such as a cup, correct? The other day I went into the cabinet to get a cup because I was thirsty. I sometimes get thirsty. And and the cup looked clean. It felt clean. So I put some ice in it. And I put a little lemon in it, and I finally, I poured some San Pellegrino Italian sparkling mineral water into the cup, and we get it at Costco, it's cheap there. Uh, and, and, and then I, I took a sip, and it was crisp, and it was refreshing. Oh, it was just what I was looking for. And I sat down, I drank some more, and I just began to enjoy my water. And about a third of the way through, I noticed something. Little black floaties. You would think that a man with six kids, not knowing which kids washed the dishes, would check the inside of the cup. (laughs) The cup looked great on the outside, but I have no idea what I drank. And no, I did not finish it. I poured it out. I'm a total germaphobe. But... And I'm still worried I'm going to get sick from that. But for, and, and for the record, by the way, I, my kids do a good job washing the dishes. I'm sure that was a fluke. I hope that was a fluke. But from here, um, Jesus is going to explain his metaphor. Verse 40, you fools. Or should, you fools, right? Did he not, did he who made the outside Make the inside also, but give his alms the things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. He begins by calling the Pharisees fools. Now, to the Jews, foolishness wasn't so much a lack of wisdom as the opposite of wisdom. So this was a serious accusation. He continues by going back to God's created order. God made us inside and out. And the Pharisees were so distracted by how they looked on the outside that they were unable to see that their hearts had not been tended to. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, verses 17 to 20. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth 
proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus is saying that it isn't what you eat or drink or what you might see or hear that defiles you. It is the sinful thoughts that come from within that defile us. And yeah, we can do a pretty good job scrubbing the outside so that we can look and feel good. And, and, and we don't, you know, then deal with the heart by changing our behavior. We, that's not how you can fix a bad heart. You don't fix your bad heart by changing the behavior. You change the heart and the heart moves you. We deal with the heart through our relationship with God. Only then can we rightly pray. Only then can we hear and keep the Word of God. Our faith is not about behavior modification, but heart transformation. Jesus identifies greed in their hearts. So instead of giving them a list of things to do and not to do to make them holy. He just says to be the opposite of what you are on the outside, on the inside. Instead of greed, give alms of what is in your heart. So if you're somebody that, desi that desires wealth, you've got your mind on your money and your money on your mind, give your money away. Right? He, he says, if you do that, everything is clean for you. How does that work? I'll explain. Way back when I was in college, I used to work on airplanes. Back, this was back in the Orville and Wilbur Wright days, right? Orville and I, we were out there working on airplanes, and we used to drink a lot of coffee, but our hands were always covered in grease, right? And so you should have seen the handle on that coffee maker, just caked in grease. And then my travel mug was just grease stains and all banged up and everything, but they were clean. They may not have looked great on the outside, but the coffee was delicious. And never once, not once, did I ever get a gulp of Aeroshell or Jet A in my coffee. Because the inside was clean. The inside was clean. You see, we can often only see the outside of a person, but God sees the heart, doesn't He? It, it isn't to say that the cup with a clean outside isn't pl more pleasing to the eye. Of course it is. But what's most important is the inside. The outside is important for appearances. The inside is what is important for function, right? And that's why the first priority with my truck is that it's well-maintained, right? I change the oil regularly. Any problems that come up, I fix them right away, right? Because if we take care of our cars, our cars will take care of us. But I also, for appearances, really like to get my truck to that full-service car wash down there and to get scrubbed and cleaned and polished and the inside and outside because I like my truck looking good. It'll work as a truck regardless of how it appears, right? As long as it's in good mechanical condition, but I like it to shine. If I, and I'm sure that if I had the time and money, I would probably be neurotic about it because I like it to shine. I like it to look pretty. I don't think that Jesus is saying that the outside is irrelevant. It's still there. It's still important. But what he's saying is that you can look really good and still be in terrible condition. So after that, he goes into three woes. Now, that word woe is like a warning about calamity. 
Uh, in biblical usage, it's usually a warning about the threat of divine penalty or punishment. Like in Isaiah, if you recall, uh, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah chapter 6, and the seraphim are worshiping him, and he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. Why did he say that? It was as if to say, I should not have seen this great holy thing occurring because of my uncleanness, and now I am doomed. Right? And that's how we use the word woe. And Jesus here pronounces three woes against the Pharisees. Here's the first one in verse 42. Luke eleven forty two. 42. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting others. So the Pharisees had their giving down to an exact science. Even if they picked up mint from the side of the road, they would give an exact tenth to the Lord. They didn't cheat God a penny, right? But that is not generosity. That is not being a cheerful giver. Right? They gave exactly as they were supposed to. But that doesn't come from the heart. That's out of obligation. And obligation's good. That that's probably should be the good starting point. But their exact giving demonstrated that they actually had no generosity in their hearts and were therefore greedy. The fact that they gave a tenth was the very evidence that their hearts were empty of any real compassion or generosity. I remember asking him during uh, Advent, you remember this, we asked about favorite Christmas movies, and for some of us, our favorite was A Christmas Care with George C. Scott. Remember that? That's a good one, isn't it? Uh, and you might recall towards the beginning of the movie, uh, Mr. Scrooge is approached by some of what he considered to be do-gooders, right? And they were seeking charity for the poor. And what did he say? He says, are there no prisons and the union workhouses? Are they still in operation? The treadmill and the poor law are still in full vigor? And as he's told of the terrible conditions of these places, he insists that he's fulfilled his obligations to charity by paying his taxes. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. We need to ask ourselves if we're fulfilling our obligations to God or if we actually love Him. The answer can never be revealed by looking at outward appearances. We have to examine our hearts. It's, and it's not just about money. When we, when we turn our faith into a list of do's and don'ts, we miss the point entirely. It's about the heart. Jesus is saying here that they ought to tend both to their tithes, but also to seek justice. So maybe you're maybe that's maybe you read your Bible diligently, morning and evening. You you listen to Christian radio and podcasts and music when you drive, and you you don't drink or chew or run with the girls that do. And you you made a good profit, so you gave your ten percent, and you're in church faithfully every week, and you avoid debt, and you pay all of your bills on time every time, every time. And it, and it isn't that you shouldn't be tithing and setting boundaries and standards for person holy, personal holiness. You should be doing those things. But, but, when's the last time you saw a messy situation and set your judgments aside to get your hands dirty? 
When's the last time you gave your heart to someone you weren't sure you could trust because they were in a bad situation, even if they had gotten themselves there? It isn't about checking off the boxes. It's about the heart. Jesus is saying, woe to you. You check off all the boxes, but inwardly you are rebellious and wicked. The first woe, therefore, shows the inadequacy of what these Pharisees do. And the second is a scathing indictment of their pride. Woe to you, Pharisees, verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Now, the synagogues were places of learning Scripture, and, and these Pharisees loved to have the front row seat so everyone could see how important they were. And they loved to go out in public and hear that public greeting launch. Good morning, Rabbi. Good morning, Rabbi. I remember my earliest days as a youth pastor. The first time somebody said, hello, pastor. I was shocked at how important that made me feel. It was scary. And, and it kind of stroked my ego, right? And, and, and I knew it was wrong. Um, I knew it was the wrong response. I knew that right away. But it, but it did take some time for me to not really enjoy hearing that the way that I did. And gosh, how easy it is to slip into pride. Right? What I've learned now is that I hear that and it's special to me because it's, it comes from somebody that I love and, and that I want to pour into some way. Not that I have anything to give, but that I, I want to give love and grace from the depths of my heart in a meaningful way. And so in light of this passage, since I have, in, I have loved receiving respect, when I hear that, I know that Christ would have me instead... Give alms or give as alms the respect that I would otherwise want for myself, right? What it is that you want for yourself, that is what is in your heart that you are to give. What, we'd advise, what would we advise these Pharisees? Offer up the best seats to others. Go out and respectfully greet others in the marketplaces. Treat others with the honor that you covet. It isn't that wanting a particular position is bad, but the question is why? 1 Timothy 3.1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Turn to Matthew. It isn't it isn't holding the position of honor. It's, it's what you do with it. It's the heart behind it. Matthew 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. See, the first woe revealed the inadequacy of the things that they do. The second woe is an indictment of their pride, but the third woe is the most damning of them all. Jesus not only exposes their uncleanness, but He shows that they are defiling the people around them by the things that they think make them righteous. By the way, what is the first part of the Lord's Prayer in Luke? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, hallowed be your name. It's reverence, right? Remember reverence, petition, repentance? It's reverence. The whole context of the passage is founded on our need to honor God in light of our own dishonor. 
Woe to you. Verse 44. Luke eleven forty-four. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. The ta- context here is much like the northeastern U.S. There, there are a lot of little backyard graveyards all over the place. We had one in our house in New York, just in the backyard. That was fun to scare people with. But the challenge, the challenge back then was that whenever pilgrims would travel through, the property owners were responsible for making sure that all the graves were clearly marked by whitewashing them because if one were to walk on a grave, it would defile them or render them ritually unclean even if they didn't know the grave was there. And what Jesus is saying is that because these disciples, or rather because these Pharisees were concerned with how clean they looked on the outside, the filth that they had neglected on the inside was defiling not only them, but whoever they encountered too. Nobody realized that these Pharisees were defiling them because they looked really good on the outside. They were highly respected as being very spiritual people. They were, they, they were following God, so it seemed, on the outside. They were holy. They had, they, had, they had really been known as being holy, clean people that followed God. And that's what happens when we fail to recognize our sin because we've changed our behavior And we don't look like we have a sin problem, but we do on the inside. And just like the Pharisees, we can fool ourselves and others. And when we fool ourselves and others, we defile ourselves and others. The Pharisees were really good at looking or at following all the rules. They prided themselves in doing all the things that were expected of a faithful Jew perfectly. But what they failed to see was that under the old covenant, the outward signs still pointed to an inward grace. So instead of setting up more regulations to try to keep the law perfectly, what they should have done is to recognize that the law had revealed, uh, what the law had revealed about their hearts so that they could repent and grace may abound. Instead of seeing that the law came to condemn sin, they tried to keep it perfectly as something that would make them righteous. Romans 5.20 and 21, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, and grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ, through, through Christ Jesus our Lord. If they had recognized that, they would have lived lives of repentance, looking forward to the coming Messiah who would first deliver them from their sins. They would have recognized Jesus as the fulfillment of that promise. And instead of accusing him of being under the power of Satan, they would have honored him. Today we have the new covenant, baptism and communion. Those are two outward signs of inward graces, right? So as far as outward appearances, baptism and communion are what we should be primarily concerned with because that's how God reveals his grace to us or through us, rather, under the new covenant. And the rest is inner transformation. And how God transforms us on the inside is going to affect our behaviors, and it'll have an impact on our outward appearance. But we shouldn't have to worry about that part because it's the natural outcome of God's transformative work. And and Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you think you're giving so much to God, and you don't recognize your own poverty. 
And often we do the same thing. We tend to compare our righteousness to the righteousness of others by looking at outer appearances. But would you rather drink out of a, a banged up old coffee mug with grease stains on the outside that's been thoroughly cleaned on the inside or a cup that appears clean but will get you with the little black floaties because someone didn't do a good job cleaning the inside? We're so careful not to defile ourselves with what we consume or what we see or hear and the kinds of people that we're around and all of those outer things. And often we feel that, feel that by doing that, we're in pretty good shape, especially when we compare ourselves to others because we feel like we did our due diligence to keep ourselves from becoming defiled and other people may not have tried as hard. Well, Jesus didn't even clean his hands. I don't think... Jesus was saying that the Pharisees shouldn't have boundaries and standards they followed to keep themselves holy. And I'm not suggesting that for us either. What he was saying is that God's people need to take their attention off of appearances and take a deeper look at what is in the heart that drives their behaviors. And when we do that, it becomes a lot harder to point to the outward appearances of other Christians, doesn't it? When we live introspectively, examining our inner thoughts and motivations, that's when we can live godly lives of repentance. Next week, we're going to see the lawyers chime in the same conversation because they get offended. But in the meantime, let us commit to examining the insides of our cups. Let us each ask if we're fulfilling simply our obligations or if we, were, we are truly loving God. How do our insides look? Let's pray. Oh God, we repent in the face of your holiness. Woe is us, for we have come face to face with our great God and creator who has reached down and called himself our father. Be glorified, oh God. May we fall before your great authority, and may Jesus come quickly that all the world would bow before you. Oh God, provide for us that we may live holy lives, not scrubbing our outsides for the world to see, but bearing our hearts that you might cleanse us daily. Forgive us of our filthy pride that lifts ourselves up, that we are wretched, and tears others down, though we cannot see their hearts as you can. And teach us to forgive one another our debts and attitudes towards each other. And we pray out loud together as the Lord Jesus has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we humbly, God, surrender to you and give ourselves to you so that we may be prepared to follow you into the mission field you've given us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.